there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. Welcome back, Ghoul Gang, to Between Lewis and Lovecraft Correspondence, the show on the internet where I make random people from the internet pretend to be my friends until they are convinced that it was their idea and they wanted to do this the whole time. But in reality, I've been stalking them for years. And then I slowly laid out my plan like Darth Sidious upon uh, Anakin. I don't know why I thought of that this morning, but I did think about that and how that is basically what I'm doing. Um, It was an interesting shower thought. Anyway, joining me on this very awkward intro is Hannah from Monster Hour which is, I'm not going to lie, legitimately my favorite podcast in the world. I know I'm betraying people like Britt from Contrivance and Hannah from my own podcast. (laughs) 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 But I have Hannah from a different podcast, and I'm so excited. Hannah, say hi to our listeners. Hello. Hello, listeners. This is Hannah. I play JR the Crooked on Monster Hour. Uh, the finale is airing in two days, although you will, uh, it will have been aired by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah, definitely it will. Uh, this probably won't be out till the new year, um, when I will have taken a break. Right now, I'm probably knee-deep in diapers and, um, having an emotional breakdown with my wife as we try to get a two-hour nap in or something. Um, but everybody else in the world thinks that I'm going to be super happy and having a good time because, uh, this is legitimately, I'm not, I'm not just like, I'm not just kind of making it up. I've been supporting, uh, the monster hour on Patreon for, uh, a while now. Uh, it's gotta be close to a year. Um, the only podcast I support, not because I, I don't think that other shows are undeserving just because your guys' show has has impressed me so much and i love your guys's quality and content so much that i i would probably have an existential breakdown if you guys couldn't continue to to do a show so i'm like i have to i have to help keep that from happening (laughs) that is that is really wonderful to hear um i know that when when we recorded the finale, um, so first of all, a lot of tears before, during, and after. Uh, we had a long conversation after about, hey, how dedicated are people to coming back to this? Um, because Quinn is, uh, right now, he is on uh, two months of paternity leave. He just had a, um, a baby. Me and his wife just had the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is really, uh, really committed to to making time for this uh in january so right now you know finale is airing in two days uh won't be airing anything in december um although i think we do have some patreon content and a couple of um probably really lightly edited one shots um just uh me kyle and to uh but he's already started floating ideas for campaigns and different game systems um in the the coming in the coming year and i definitely want to do a one shot of my own i want to do a monster of the week one shot we recorded a a tabletop role-playing game that is basically dm-less mm-hmm. but i ran it 
and I'm going to edit it, and I have been putting off editing it for a month and a half. <laughs> it I only gets worse. I can tell you from I, experience, the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to be, man. Oh, no, no. It is it is a very, very short podcast. It's two rounds. It is oh, from the yeah. Ultimate Micro RPG book, right. which has a lot of great, great little one-shots. Um but I certainly would like to to DM a little bit. I've never really DM'd before. Quinn is really excited to bring this back. All of us are invested in coming back. So I am excited for this show to come back. We're kind of talking about, depending on what we do, uh, Kyle really wants to do a, a, a new theme song. Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, Tio would like to do a new logo, which I know that the theme song, like, it fucking slaps. It's... Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely uh, that, does. Yeah, yeah. I I have been re-listening uh, to old episodes coming up to the finale, just so I kind of have myself hyped. And you get to the end of the podcast, and that, like, it drops. And you're just yeah. like, oh, man. So Kyle is very, very good at what he does. Um but I will tell you that one of the reasons uh, I think we all sound pretty good is uh, Quint edits us really, really significantly. He has a very heavy hand with editing, which makes us sound a lot funnier than we probably are. <laughs> he, he cuts out all the jokes that don't land or the jokes that don't land and then you repeat them, but a little bit louder. Yeah. To see if maybe nobody was listening right. or maybe you just didn't get it in the right time. So he edits a lot of that stuff out uh, to make a really nice, really nice hour long. We really wanted to make episodes about an hour long, except for finales. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of specials, seasonal specials that have gone a little bit longer. But that's Quinn is doing a, a, a lot of work making that podcast very slick. And then Kyle's music, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's a great segue into uh, something that I wanted to talk about, which was uh, Kyle's music, uh, because that was, I mean, from the get-go, um, your guys' music, and then I don't know if you ever heard of the show Crit Seekers, um, but it was a... I haven't. It was a D&D show, that uh, podcast that went through a few iterations. Uh, Mason, um, who uh, was the DM, he has been a guest on our show he's read stories for our um i don't i don't know if he did our sci-fi but he definitely he wrote a story and read stories for our horror um flash fiction episodes he's he's a friend of mine and his music was really really good too and i think that maybe that's what i really enjoy about a lot of good podcasts is when you have characters it can sound dead even if they're good characters but the second you add the right tone of music in there it, everything changes it becomes cinematic and for me music is so so important and there's been times in our show where um i've worked with my little brother he's he's an artist uh, a musician um an annoyingly good musician and um so i'll i'll you know rope him in and be like dude i need a song for this moment or this moment or he'll be working on something and be like what do you think of this i'm like i'm gonna steal that for players guild because it's so perfect for this thing that i'm about to do um and probably our our best our favorite part is like there's a there's a common um 
like this thread of the the big bad guy for the all the whole campaign and you start to see his influence in other npcs like how he's affected them and there's this terrifying moment where like they're hearing a story of just how horrible this guy is and cameron was able to take that music this kind of theme song that we had created for him and turn it into this very subtle and scary sound and i'm like i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now and so like having someone like kyle who's not only talented but also very passionate about the project like that's got to be so cool to be able to hear your your story played out with this great cinematic feel behind it oh yeah it's um i i remember when we were he was first recording the theme and we got it and we're just like oh this is this is great because we got the theme and then we got the promo clip um you know the the teaser trailer for the first few episodes interspersing our dialogue with this theme which is amazing um he does uh just a little bit about kyle's background so he um he he has a day job in in tech uh and then his uh his not day job he's a partner in a local theater and he does the music for their productions he also does a lot of the sound effects for the productions and then he was doing a play this summer where he was getting to write original songs for that and i know that was a really big right really big deal for him to be able to do that um he he's done sounds for other local plays um that have been really good there was one uh it was an improv show called claim of thrones that's obviously based on (laughs) game of thrones and so he was having that is oh i I was oh yeah yeah i mean i showed up i was like oh i had no idea (laughs) okay so he did the music for that and it needed to sound like game of thrones without being a direct rip off of game of thrones and he like it sounded like something that would have come out of game of thrones nice so um yeah he's really really good at that and then he's been doing a lot of the the i guess it's the sound mixing i don't know anything about (laughs) and music production at all i i know when i am watching something or listening to something that has good like sound editing and sound design um but I don't know, like, I sort of know what design and mixing means. Um, anyway, Kyle's very good at that, putting the music with, with the podcast. Um, and he's done different themes for each of the... I'm not sure if he did one for the first... For the first uh, arc. I can't remember. It's been a very long time. Yeah, yeah uh, I can't remember but either. after that... And he, he may have done one for the story, but after that, he started doing a theme for each of those that would come in uh, usually towards the end of the campaign when we're facing off with the big bad. Yeah. Uh, so he's really, really enjoyed that. And then I know he's been working really hard on kind of the theme for all of the the finales, uh, this last arc where we're kind of heading into the end game. Mm-hmm. Um Very, very good at that. I would also be remiss if I did not talk about uh, Tio's artwork for this yeah i was i didn't realize that she had done the logo (laughs) and yes it's so good it's it's a really good logo it is 
she did the logo that we have the the you know the artwork of the kind of the hands with the flashlights she also has done all of the art that's that's the smaller logos with just mh that we used for you mm-hmm. know instagram um she did early on in the beginning some kind of promo art for i think it was like one was like Leon's camera that kept getting broken. One was her bath and one was something for the prospector. So she has done all of that. She has a, a really strong background in visual design. We went through a whole process uh, going through and picking the logo. Again, something that I don't know anything about, which is logo design and branding. And we spent an afternoon with her pulling a variety of designs and all of us coming up with opinions about those designs and then taking our thoughts on those and incorporating them. Mm -hmm. And she showed this to us and it's just, oh man, so sick, so dope. I I, just... I mean, that's... um, Britt and I... uh, Britt is from Players Guild. She has her own show, Contrivance Podcast. Um, And I brought her into Players Guild specifically because... Uh, she is. She knows. She knows how to get shit done, and she's very opinionated. Uh, but she also is uh, very nice to me. Um, sometimes, she, you know, she does that. She's from Ohio, so she's got kind of that uh, uh, Midwestern like. I think you're dumb, but I'm gonna be really nice to you anyway. Sort of <laughs> tone of voice, and I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, I'm I'm okay with the with that patronizing sound. But we, her and I, we went back and forth on a whole bunch of designs for Players Guild. And, and I used to be a graphic designer uh, for a t-shirt company. So that's that's my jam. And I tell people I'm like, I'm like the fast food of graphic design, right? Like I'm the McDonald's. I'm the guy you come to when you're like, I just need something. Just give me, some, I don't care what it is. Even if it's crap, I just need something. I can do that. I can whip it up in 15 minutes and you'll be golden. Um, and then there's like people who are actual graphic like artists and designers who are like they're the I'm trying to think of a fancy restaurant, but I can't off the top of my head. Literally the only thing that comes to my head is PF Chang's, and that's not the, the term I want to No, go with. it's not what I uh, uh, call super fancy, but yeah. yes, I uh <laughs> Yeah. Fancy restaurant, whatever that is. I've obviously never right. been to one. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like, and and I'm and I've told people like, if this is what you want, if if you want something high quality, I'm I'm not your guy. But it, I can do something quick. But the the logo that we ended up having for Players Guild, I'm so in love with, and like, it's because she helped me refine it so much. This back and forth of like, I was like, well, what do you think of this? And she's like, ah, eh, nah. And I'm like any direction that's not a direction and you know she would help and so i know that there's that process that back and forth of of trying to narrow it down and if you don't have that um you're gonna think your first draft is the best thing in the world and Mm -hmm. you're gonna go with that and then you get like you if you type into any if you just go on to itunes and just browse and you look at the thumbnails some of them are so bad that i'm like it's like I, I'm so sorry that you're stuck with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and for us, uh, one of the things that was really important to Tio and to us, but something that she put into consideration was we want to have something that's eye-catching, but certainly when I'm, you know, I use uh, Pocket Cat. Uh, and so when you're scrolling through, the logos are very, very small. Yeah. 
So you need to have something that's going to catch people's eyes when they see it, and then when they open it up, oh, there's all these other really cool details in it. Um, because I've seen, like, there are some really, really good, uh, really, really good icons, but when they're that small, it's really hard to tell what yeah. the podcast is about, what the theme is about, and then you open up and you go, oh, this is really, this is really, really nice, but the text is very small, or there's not a recognizable symbol. Sure. So that was kind of the balance that we wanted to strike was interesting enough that people would click on it and and recognizable and then when they open it up all all these wonderful details so yeah she worked really really hard on that um and i i love it i i even have the flyer up on my pin board from our official launch and i remember showing up it was at a friend's house this was this was nothing fancy oh. but i remember showing up and she had these printed out um or it may have been i can't remember who printed it out. it may have been quinn's wife maggie who printed them out but i remember showing up and going this is our podcast and it's on a flyer like yeah. that's our logo that's pretty cool so um yeah I, I wanted to make sure that she got recognition as well yeah yeah that's awesome very cool uh i you can tell her if she doesn't listen to this episode uh, that I'm I'm a fan of her art and I'm I'm glad I'm it, I'm glad that she's playing an artist too like someone who she as a designer understands the intricacies of like what it's like to be an artist that nobody actually likes the art from because that's how every artist feels right they're like oh I created all this stuff but nobody actually likes it she gets a chance yeah. to play in that realm and not just be you know, it could have been very easy for her to play the victim mentality and be like, oh, nobody likes my art. And, you know, and, and then she's just a sad girl the whole time. But instead, she she wants to play this character that's like, no, nobody understands my art. Like, my art is good. Nobody understands it. And and I think yeah. that that's kind of it's a it's a she gets to play in that fantasy a little bit of of you know what every artist i think goes through so i think that that's really yeah. nice for her and for every artist listening yeah and uh something else i mean everybody brings part of themselves into whatever art you are creating but one of the things that um tio is romanian and she plays a character who is her family's romanian mm -hmm. And we got a comment pretty early on from somebody listening to it who was Romanian who said, you know, this is, I'm, I'm seeing myself in this podcast. Um, I'm seeing a lot of kind of the, the family dynamics in this podcast. It is really wonderful to see a character who is Romanian um, in that. So that was, that was very cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it is funny too. Uh, and this is it's totally so random, but like, the week before I started listening to your guys' show, I went to a friend's house to go play Dungeons and Dragons. And um and I I didn't know anybody there except the DM. And I met a couple and it you know, it was a couple who, you know, the uh wife was Romanian. She kept saying it over and over again, which is the only reason why I knew. She's like, You guys need to eat because I'm Romanian and you'll offend me if you don't and like all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, This is cool. I've I've never met anybody who's Romanian and is like this you know, like this is my thing. And then a the week later I started listening to you guys' show and I'm like, Oh, this is so random that now like I have this <laughs> 
And so for the longest time, whenever I'd hear uh, Tio or Constance, it was this woman that I had met in my head. Like I didn't, I didn't see any pictures of you guys. So now I don't see uh, Constance the way that I, maybe I should, the way I, I know you guys have a bunch of art online and stuff, which is super mm-hmm. dope. You have a, 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 someone who's a fan enough to do art. Oh man, that, that is, it, it is incredibly flattering. Uh, when people do art, it is, uh, it is wild. I, I will say also, um, I have been checking and I'm, I'm kind of relieved, although I have no idea how long that will last, but, uh, so far nothing on AO3, which I think is. <laughs> there's I no, just, there's just... no rule 34 for monster hour yet. Nope, nope. I just pop in every once in a while. I mean, I pop in for other reasons. But I, I check. <laughs> while you're there for other reasons, you do right, it. Right, like, while I'm there checking my stats. Um, I just double, I, I check to see if there's, and so, so far nothing has popped up. But yes, we have uh, uh, Brie, who is, uh, her handle on Instagram is cooler than Pluto, mm-hmm. was, I think, the first person to do fan art. And she's done a lot of really, really great art. And then we've we've had uh, several other people do really, really amazing stuff. I think at some point it might be nice for us to kind of like we have it compiled on our Discord server as kind of a here's here's a we call it fan fuzzies is ah. when we get nice reviews or cool art to just pop that in there as a reminder that people are enjoying this to the point that they're they're creating their own art. Um, yeah, very very cool. It it is something that if I was an artist I would definitely like to do i mean listening to a show you want to do i want to do something with my hands i listen to your guys' show when i'm at work uh i've i've um put i've made it a thing now where i listen to contrivance podcasts when i do my dishes i don't know why but i just started doing that i'm like oh it's dishes time so i'm gonna pop in some contrivance um Mm -hmm. you know i i like to do that and so for artists i think that that's really it's a nice way for them to just kind of work on something while they're listening to the show uh it's the same thing like with critical role you you see all these artists who are obsessed with critical role because it gives them fuel and it gives them something to do while they're watching it because watching people play D isn't the most exciting thing if you're just sitting there doing nothing yeah yeah uh, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of uh, uh, crafts when I'm watching stuff. De- depending on what I'm watching, sometimes I'm watching stuff where it's oh no, this is something where I actually have to pay attention. Yeah, I remember working on an ending project starting Westworld and realizing pretty early on that this was <laughs> a show that was going to visually yeah demand a lot of my attention. Yeah, and that's fine. But then I also want to have a show where, okay, I can just kind of like keep an eye on it. I know what's going on, but I can be looking down at my hands um, for whatever I'm working on. So, yeah, I, I do enjoy keeping keeping the hands busy while I'm watching or listening to something. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm doing stuff around the house, uh, cleaning, uh, folding laundry doing laundry lots of that kind of stuff i just have yeah i'll pop something on what are your go-to what's hannah's top 10 podcasts of 2021 good question so i'm i'm gonna pull up my phone and just kind of have some of the ones that i've been listening to so um 
I I re-listened to it. Uh, I've re-listened to it twice. Uh, Magnus Archives. You know, I've heard so much about it. I'm so scared to start it because I feel like my life will change once I listen to it. It is. I the episodes are super duper short. Um, if you like something like the X Files, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, where the show starts off as they're kind of recording these paranormal events, and then, of course, things start happening with the Institute. And so it kind of becomes a a bigger story about all of the people who work there um, and kind of supernatural forces. I will say that re-listening to it and following along with the Magnus Archives wiki was helpful because... uh, there's a lot of characters and so a lot of voices and sometimes it can be hard to track who's who. Yeah. But I really enjoy it. Episodes are super short and you got a lot of content. You got like three years of of episodes. Yeah. Uh, for other storytelling content, Pseudopod does short, well, short to long uh, horror, both original content and uh, other previously published uh, between, I think their shortest is going to be like eight minutes and can go up to about an hour and a half. Mm. They get professional readers, all sorts of horror. So you're going back to things that have been published in the 1800s, up to stuff that's contemporary. They too, do a good job of tagging and talking about, hey, there's going to be some heavy duty stuff in this, so maybe yeah. it's not a listen. But especially around Halloween, spooky season, yeah, I want to be scared. And then for kind of um, not news, but nonfiction, uh, I really enjoy, let's see, uh, You're Wrong About, (laughs) which is a a great podcast, uh, kind of doing a deep dive into a lot of contemporary topics that we had one impression of, and it's actually not that. So I think they're one of their first episodes. Yeah. First season episode was Tiny Harding, a two-parter on on Tiny Harding, okay. and uh, uh, a much more complex figure than a lot of us knew, and sure. a lot of bigger forces than kind of the oh she had uh, Nancy Kerrigan kneecapped. Uh, so really enjoy that. The hosts are very engaging, although right now one of the hosts is leaving to do some other projects, and so they have a lot of guest hosts. Uh, and then, gosh, what else? Unfortunately, they have not been doing any episodes recently because I think it it just ended. I don't know if it was the funding got pulled or what, but the hilarious world of depression is a really, really great podcast. The host has on <laughs> originally it was a lot of comedians, yeah, uh, and actors, and kind of expanded to musical artists. But he'd have these people come on and talk about. Uh, depression and yeah. how it affected their lives and it always opened with is depression funny asking these folks and I love that because not because I want folks to be struggling with depression and I'm somebody who has lived with clinical depression for years and years and years but because everybody's depression is their own magical choose your own adventure and so I'll listen to some people describe it, and I think this is not how it feels to me. Right. But I remember one of their first episodes, he had Dick Cavett from the Dick Cavett show, and hearing him describe what his depression felt like. I remember when I heard that episode, and I had to stop because I was sitting there crying in the middle mm. of my kitchen, just 
feeling very seen. Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoy that. He's got a pretty big back catalog. I don't think it's something that you really want to binge. <laughs> you'll be you'll be pretty uh, struck. You're, you're gonna be you're gonna be pretty bummed out. Yeah. But it is really really validating to hear people talk really frankly about mental illness and what it feels like to live with that. So and that's got a pretty big back catalog too. Sure. And I have found that to be very very helpful. Nice. Listening to that. So those are some of my favorites that I like. That's awesome. Um, what what does it take for you to get into a show? Do you have friends tell you about it or do you have to discover it? Good question. Uh, I, if, if a friend has a recommendation, I will usually check it out. Um, if I, I think Pseudopod, I Googled top 10 spooky podcasts because I mm. wanted some more some more spooky stuff. I I had listened to the Snap Judgment Spooked, which comes around once a year, mm. people telling their, their spooky stories. And so I had seen a lot of a buzz about Magnus Archives, Pseudopod, found those on uh, just by Googling that. Uh, occasionally, I do go through and just kind of browse by topic mm. and some of those I found some really good podcasts and some of those I you know there's a million podcasts out there there's going to be ones so for many. everybody yeah. and I will say that also and this is kind of uh, I shouldn't hold this against podcasts but if I pull up a podcast and there's like 400 episodes that's definitely going to be oh I'm not sure if this is for me because then I'm going to have to go through a huge back catalog right. And I say this as somebody who Magnus Archives has probably 300 episodes, something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that, you, you said you're on your second or third go through. So. Second go through. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that friend recommendations, Googling, Magnus Archives is really big on Twitter. And so I'd seen a lot of people tweeting about that. And so I thought, okay, I'll give that, give that a go. Have you heard of the Black Tapes? I have. This is not one that I have, like, that has popped up on lists, but if you have a recommendation, pitch me on it. Uh, the Black Tapes, it, the Magnus Archives, it, it, from what it sounds like, uh, the Black Tapes is a lot like that. Um, I don't, I again, I haven't listened to Magnus Archives because, uh, again, I feel, I always get worried. I, I'm a part of a writer's group um, and um, a kind of a, a small we're, we're kind of building a community network of artists and writers and podcasts. And something that we talk about on there is something called uh, the gumbo. And uh, the gumbo is a, you know, in real life, it's a, it's a soup or a chowder. I'm not sure what technically it is, but it's a whole bunch of different stuff thrown together. Uh, you got broth, you got meat, you got veggies, you got all kinds of stuff. It's just like, it's like this weird cascade of different things. The, what we talk about as gumbo is a thing, a person, an event, a place, a story that makes you feel a whole bunch of emotions all at once. Uh, right. So you can be excited that you found this new thing. You can be scared that you're diving into a uh, thing. You can be jealous that they have success and you don't. Uh, you can be um I don't know what else you would be, but there's, you know, there's just a, all these different emotions that you can feel all at once. 
and that's the gumbo. You just have to kind of work through it, and you know, hopefully, it it'll motivate you into doing your own thing. And the Magnus Archives, every single time I've like been like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll try that today. This gumbo bumbles up, and I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna do it. I can't do it. I'm like, I don't, I can't. I'm so afraid that it's gonna be too good, you know, like how Dune changed my life, and now I'm a I'm a Frank Herbert freak, and uh, I just I get scared of that stuff. So um, someday I will. The black tapes, anyway. That was huge uh, tangent. The black tapes is a lot like Magnus Archives in that there's like supernatural stuff going on, but it's it's done kind of in the the format of uh, like Radio Lab. Um, and stuff where it's you're following this one journalist as she goes through trying to um, get the truth out of something and then it turns into all kinds of different stuff and you get these interviews with people and it's it's creepy it's cool and I've never actually finished it uh, just because it, it they took a break at one point and I I got you know I got other stuff to do. <laughs> I I have a hard time listening to a lot of podcasts now because I'm so busy re- listening to audiobooks for my own show um that some of them got left behind. Like Lore. Lore is one of the best podcasts in the world. I enjoyed that. It is one of the ones that I have kind of set down. Um but the the gumbo effect uh I would say that for me the two things that are kind of popping up for the gumbo effect. Uh, one of them was um, the the first arc of Taz was oh, yeah. I had multiple friends who listened to it who were pitching it as like, this thing is going to kind of change your life. Yeah. Like you're going to get to the end. And, you know, there was, I'm sitting there going, do I really want to get involved <laughs> with something that's going to change my life? Do I really have time for this? Do I really have the mental bandwidth? I don't know. You know, and it kind of starts off a little slow, but you get to the end and just like the whammy yeah. of you're crying, all of the- you're yep. like laughing every two seconds, you have a different emotion. Oh, I was stuck in traffic when I was listening to the one of the last episodes and just openly weeping. Yeah, um, same. Not traffic. I was just driving through the country. But yeah, yeah, I was actually crying while listening to it. Quinn said that he was at his desk at his office listening to it and was like sobbing yeah um so there there's that and then also uh for me on kind of a a a smaller scale is uh i have been putting it off just because i've been feeling a bit of a slump in my own writing but getting into really really good fanfic for the the fandoms that i'm in yeah particularly because the fandoms that i'm in both of the shows have really really sad depressing endings and so a lot of the fanfic has very sad depressing <laughs> endings but if you read fix it fic then it's like happy endings yeah and there are some incredibly talented writers in the fandom that i'm in but it's i i click on that and i go am i really ready to have my heart broken <laughs> am i also really ready to be like god fucking damn it i don't write this well this is bo- fuck fuck yeah. why does anybody read anything that i write <laughs> shit i'm never gonna be this good yes fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh my god yes i know that i mean I, I don't know if you've listened to our show at all between Lewis and lovecraft but when we did the frank herbert episodes i was having an actual crisis of my writing career i legitimately went i can't write this good <clears throat> and i don't know if i 
want to put in the effort to ever try and be this good and like is it worth it I've got so many other things and uh, ultimately I, after talking with Hannah Hannah was a big one my wife uh, the local bookstore lady like <laughs> I have a I have a wide range of, of people in my life and even my little brother who does who has never read anything I've ever written but mm-hmm. um, but all of them were so encouraging like you like to write though like you enjoy doing it and you have stories you want to tell and mm-hmm. um the big one the big hit home for me was when uh megan waterman owner of the canby book nook our little plug for them um she said there there are there are authors out there that they have wanted to write a book their entire life and they don't they write different books um, until they've written enough to where they know that they are a good enough writer to write the book that they've wanted to write since they were 10 years old because mm-hmm. they're so in love with that story they're not willing to let a bad author write it even if it's them um, and I really liked that like that helped put so many things into perspective of like yeah I'm not I'm not as good as Frank Herbert and I want my story to be as good as Dune. So if I want that to happen, I have to put in the work and I have to keep writing in order to do that. And it was so freeing, too, because I mm-hmm. didn't have this pressure of like, my first book's got to be a Twilight style, you know, out of nowhere, everyone loves it. I can just write some crappy stuff that maybe people like. But along the way, I get better as the as a writer. I had this was something that Kyle told me um was i was kind of grousing about just kind of my writing quality and he was part of a a group in college that like this was a a a, god what do they call it not a playwright group a theater group theater Mm -hmm. group and they were doing their own plays and he said you know sometimes we get through we'd somebody write a play and we get through pretty close to the point where we're thinking this is something for production and then whatever something happened and it didn't happen uh, and he said, sometimes you got to write for the trash can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to get the crappy writing out of the way. And I've got a couple of things that I've written where I go, you know, I wrote this. I had a good idea. I sat down. I, I've i gone through a couple drafts of it. I have decided I don't actually like it. And that's okay. That's very yeah. freeing to be like, some of your writing's going to suck and you don't have to show it to anybody. Yeah. It's, it's going to be bad. So that was... That was really helpful to think about that sometimes you just got to get the, the crappy writing out. Um, and that also nobody is going to tell the story that you're going to tell. Right. You are you are in the best position to tell the story that you want to tell. And I know that also for me, sometimes I'll read these things and I go, oh, this writer is so much better than me. And then I think, I don't actually want to write that. That's mm-hmm. not... This is a very good writer, and I love their writing style. This is not what I want to write. I really don't have any interest in writing that. I have the stories that I want to write, and that's okay. But that is also, yeah, that's a freeing idea of you. You gotta get gotta get your bad books out, and then you get to a point where you can tell the story that you want to tell. That's that's really good advice. Yeah, and I think it's advice that if anybody came to me, uh, any young person came to me and said, "I want to be a writer." You know, I, I know <clears throat> I know where my thought process was when I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. It was 
I've written something that I really like, and now I've proven to myself that I can do this. So, so why can't I do it and make money and go out into the world and do it? And so, like, there's a fine line between um, cultivating that and and encouraging that and being like, yeah, good job, way to write something. You have done something that most people won't. Most people will say they want to write. And they never will. And I know that from experience. I know way too many people because I write, because I do a podcast about books and talk about stuff. And people mm. are always like, oh, I'd love to write something. It's like, then do it. Fucking do it, dude. It's not yep. hard. There's free programs. You just go start a Google account and you have a free writing document. It's it's so freaking easy. Um, And then. But then they never do it. And so just writing something is an accomplishment. And then, and then, yeah, just that freeing moment of like, look, what you've written is an accomplishment, but it probably sucks. And you need to acknowledge that. I'm not, you're not going to be different from everybody else in the world who wrote shitty work at first. Stephen King wrote shitty work at first. JK Rowling wrote shitty work at first. Like everyone wrote crappy work and then they learned from it and then Mm -hmm. they got better. That's what you need to do. And that's what took me so long. I was so stubborn about, no, this story's so good, dude. I'm going to make millions right away. First book. It's going to be great. And it, I had to get over myself. I had to Mm -hmm. get over my own ego of I'm unique. I'm so different. It's like, no, you you are new, unique and your story is unique, but to write it the right way, you need to not try and be unique. You need to try and be good. Um, so. your first your first drafts are going to be shit. They're going to yeah. be shit. They're yeah. just going to be. You need to get the ideas on paper. So I don't even. Um, so looking at a blank computer screen to me is the most daunting task. Hmm. So um, I handwrite all of my first drafts, Do you which really? is. Yes, the process is bad. The process is very bad. It's not, I have literal blinders that I'm looking over. This is also very validating because I can look over and be like, <laughs> look at all this stuff I wrote. But pages and pages, I go through legal pads. Yeah. Like, Matt, I have a huge writing bump that I got when I was a kid and has never gone away. Like, some people have kind of a writing callus. No, I have a literal writing bump. And for me, Handwriting stuff is very, um, there's a tactile element to it. There's a, when I, I'm done with a, when I want to put it down for a while, I can set it down and I can look back and I can go, oh, look at all the stuff you've already written. Um, it really is just get all the ideas on paper. It slows me down enough that as I'm writing, my brain can think about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Whereas if I'm typing, I'm just going too quickly for me to get the ideas out. Yeah. Um, because I also don't, I I don't plan shit. I have an idea. I sit down and I write it. Sometimes my characters do what I want. Most of the time they don't. They do their own thing. <laughs> I just let them, you know, I, I am the conduit for letting my characters do whatever the fuck they want. Sure. Um, and then typing it up is the second draft. Yeah. And that gives me an opportunity to look at what I've written. Uh, also realize that I thought this was a great word and I thought it was so great that I used it five times in three pages and maybe I need to go on thesaurus.com and yeah. look up a different word or, or a different phrase. restructure the sentence, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so right now I'm looking at the, the romance novel that I'm working on that I finished and I'm working on the second draft and it's in a binder and it's also got all these post-its on it that when I went through and reread it the first time, I could mark chapter breaks. I could mark places where I wanted to expand on ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but I will also say like the process sucks. My process is so slow. Mm. I don't think I could do it another way though. The process is the process. Yeah. It's your process. That's how you do it. I've, I've, uh experimented with a lot of different ways of doing things um <clears throat> like uh i i i had written an entire novel uh it was like 95,000 words um it was a fantasy oh, novel yeah oh snip snap that's that's pretty good i was i was happy with it and um and then i had an editor go through it and by an editor i mean uh my sister-in-law's mom um, who edits textbooks for college, she edited it for me and made it so that it's not absolute trash. Um, and then, and then I was like, okay, well that's done. It's done. It's ready to go. Right. Like that was it. I was done. Uh, so there was this really dangerous thing in Portland for a while called the espresso book machine. And uh, the reason it was dangerous is because you could literally send them a PDF and they will print it out as a book and you have your book in five minutes. It's done. Why did you tell me about this? Don't tell me about this. Well, it doesn't exist anymore. Thank God. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I know. It was at it was at Powell's in downtown Portland. And oh, yes. OK. And Love I Powell's. bought 100 copies of my book. My first draft book. I had done cover art. No. It was great. And I sold them for $20 each. I sold 100 copies. They're out in the world now. And I have I have started to restructure the entire story. It's completely changed. Everything about it is different since seven years ago when I did that. Mm -hmm. But there will always be those. I don't know if it was 100 books. It might have only been like 30, to be completely honest. Let's say it's 30. <laughs> There will always be those 30 books out there that if, if for some reason my story ever gets made and it's actually like a big deal, people will be able to find the 30 rare copies of the first draft of that book bound in my original art. And it, like, and people I've asked for it back. I've like straight up been like, can I have that back? I'll give you the money that you paid for me. And they're like, no, I'm going to keep it forever now. Because I know how rare it's going to be. I will save this in a fire. Yeah. Like, and <laughs> and part of me was angry. I was kind of pissed. I was like, fuck, this, this <laughs> shitty version of my story is going to be out there forever. But then I just had to accept it. And, um, you know, I, I ended up printing it out and then taking each chapter that I had and putting them into, you know, uh, it was a binder and each chapter was in its own, you know, like a uh, uh, plastic sleeve or whatever. And so I could mm -hmm. go through each chapter, pull it out, and I'd sit there with a highlighter and read it and cut and, and stuff. And and it was nice to have that kind of physical process oh, yeah. in front of me to, to, to yep. write and draw and make notes. But then what I realized was the biggest problem with this book is that the chapters themselves are 8,000 words. 
Oh, that's a chunk of change. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. It's massive. So I started thinking about that, and I was like, okay, I got to break up every single chapter now into like three or four parts. That's going to be some work. And so I started making like chapter breaks and that and trying to go through. But then I was like, but each of these stories is so – or each of these chapters, it's like almost its own story. Um, and that's where I started the thought process. Uh, and then we were deep diving on, on Lewis and Lovecraft. We're deep diving into these people – almost every single one of them started writing short stories and Dune was a serialized story. It wasn't one mm -hmm. book. It was like four or five stories put into one book. Um, Stephen King started out in shorts, HP Lovecraft, obviously, you know, like that's, that was his thing. And, and so I'm like, man, maybe I don't like writing novels. Maybe I like writing short stories. Um, and so that's when I had the idea for what I'm doing now and I'm experimenting with it where I'm not writing that original story at all. I'm doing something completely different, but I'm basically writing um, a serialized story that feels like you're reading a, a sitcom. It's it's mm -hmm. literally a fantasy sitcom and each short story is an episode in a season. And then once all the episodes are released, then I can mm -hmm. recollect them into season one of the story, right? And and I realized that that's how I've been writing this whole time anyway. I had been writing 8,000 word chapters. The, each of these is their own story. Yeah. And I was, trying, I was trying to go back and conform my own writing style to other people's expectations when in reality, I created my own. I had already figured out what I like to do. I just need to embrace that and and work with it into a, a style that people can, that I can make, you know, worth it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I started off doing short stories. It's what I do most uh, because I write in the realm of fanfic. And frankly, writing a short story teaches you a lot of skills that are then going to be super useful in a long story. But if you're doing a bunch of them, you got to learn them fast. You got to learn how to start in a way that is going to capture people's attention. Although writing in the realm of fanfic, you already know that you have kind of a, a not a captive audience, but if mm -hmm. you put the information about what your fic is about, you're going to have people who can be like, oh yeah, I definitely want to read that kind of story. Yeah, they'll give it more of a chance just based off of that fandom. Yes. Uh, particularly if they've also read stuff you've written before. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like, you got people there, you got to figure out how to cram, not cram stuff in, but if you're doing a lot of information, how to front load stuff, how to put it in there in a way that doesn't feel like an info dump, um, how to kind of navigate. I write a lot of stuff that jumps back and forth between kind of what's going on in the action and some prior prior instances and, and weaving that in and then also coming up with a good conclusion. Yeah. How do you end your story uh, without just being like, and, and, and then they did something else at the end. <laughs> and then so, they had sex and everyone was happy. <laughs> right. I mean, that's usually how a lot of mine end, but you need to have some pillow talk afterwards. Right. Um, so that has been really good practice for then turning around and working on this. And it's given me a chance to work on a lot of the things that I love writing. I love writing snappy dialogue. Mm -hmm. I love writing people falling in love. It's very fun to write people falling in love. And then taking those ideas, those things I learned from writing fanfic and putting them into a bigger context yeah. um, and thinking about how to make these stories longer yeah uh so yeah writing short stories 
great. It's great. I love it. I think I, as, I love doing it, especially as time's going on. I'm seeing more of. I think that serialized stories are going to come back in a big way if they're not already back. And I'm just behind the times like uh, the way that we consume everything is so much different than it was 20 years ago. Right. It was 20 years ago. It was the big blockbuster movies. It was Lord of the Rings. It was mm-hmm. the Matrix. You know, it was uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars, all these big major motion movies that like are epic and big and we want them. And now we're ha- we're so excited when we get, you know, um, what, what's uh, the Wheel of Time just came out this month. Oh, I I have an interesting segue to talk about that. And when we when we get to <laughs> oh, all right, because yeah. I have some thoughts on cover art that I would like to discuss. OK, uh, but I did just I, I did just pick that up. I have watched two episodes of it. I'm enjoying it a lot. Rosamund Pike is kind of an underrated actress and she is doing a lot of like she's selling the shit out of that show. Sure. Uh, but I yeah, haven't watched yeah. it at all yet. Not yet. At least I uh, again, I I don't know. I I'm I've read the first two books and there's so much out there that I'm like my wife and I keep going to the movies to go see what's coming out new and, and stuff like that. But but the the point being, yeah, like Wheel of Time, The Witcher, yeah. everything, you know, like the Daredevil TV show to me was probably one of the best Marvel created things. Um, and and it's because we get the time with the characters and because they're not trying to do the big portal in the sky. They're trying to tell these individual stories. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's where I think that short stories and serialized stories are going to be able to attract people, right? If you can pay, yeah. If you can pay two dollars for a story every month, and you get that that small short story that you can just read real quick, that's to me at least, as a as someone with ADD, uh, that's something that I would wait be way more into than oh I gotta spend twenty five thirty bucks on this thick ass book that I really don't think I'm gonna be able to make it through because it's so friggin long. I, yeah, I think that we're getting uh, to that place. Well, and for me, and this is not unique to me, but I I am a pretty voracious reader. But during the pandemic, my ability to consume large amounts of media just shrunk and so what i found myself doing was rereading old yeah. things uh as kind of a comfort because then i also didn't have to focus too much on them because i knew it was going to happen um <laughs> and then a lot of a lot of comics a lot of graphic novels because yeah. that incorporated the visual aspect uh of the storyline and depending on what i was reading i could choose between something that was going to be really comedic mm-hmm. very lighthearted, and something that was going to be really really heavy with variety of things in between but yeah i think i do think serialized particularly because um and i was hoping it would slow down during the pandemic because i gotta say living through the golden age of television sucks there's too much good (laughs) content there's so much there's so much there's so much this is and and then of course if you want to go back and rewatch stuff it's like do i want to go back and rewatch this or or uh, watch some other amazing, highly rated show. Yeah. Or do I just want to watch Trash? That's fine too. <laughs> so, or do I, I want to watch myself... The Office for literally the tenth time yeah. in a row? I've gone back and rewatched The X Files um, 
this was a, this was a show that I grew up on. Yeah. And so going back and rewatching, and I will say for the most part, it holds up. But yeah, uh, do I do I really want to get invested in a new in a new amazing show that everybody's raving about, or do I just do I just want to watch some bad reality television? <laughs> Uh, so I do want to talk about uh, your yes. your author pick, but before yes. we do, you mentioned that okay. you you're into comics. What what's your what are your go to comics? Oh, okay. So right now I've been reading this one's pretty heavy duty, and it also I think touches on uh, uh, this podcast is Die. Uh, oh, it's yeah. Kieran Gillen, uh, yep. and the the most recent trade paperback just came out. I'm getting it delivered. I think that's the last one, which is nice that I know that there's just going to be the four trade paperbacks because there's some that I really, really like. But man, they've been going on a long time. And whenever there's a new trade paperback, I have to go back and read the old one to yeah. figure out where I'm at. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, the Wicked and the Divine, I loved. It's a pretty that good That was one. also yeah. like 10 trade paperbacks, something like that. Uh, for lighthearted stuff, uh, I will go back and reread this one. Just because I enjoy it and because it also got a lot of things right about being a lawyer. But the She-Hulk two-part Law and Disorder and Disorderly Conduct. Okay. Uh, fantastic. Also, because they put her in um, her outfit is functional. <laughs> There's no boob window. She wears these, like, wrestling boots that are super duper, like, oh, yeah, okay, if you're going out there and you're beating up bad guys, you need a boot that's going to protect your shins yeah. and also allows freedom of movement. And then I just started Once in Future. Okay. Which is, uh, what if King Arthur came back and what if he was a Brexiteer and a zombie? <laughs> okay yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 uh the art is very bright and colorful there's a, a granny who's like a gun-toting granny um it's it's i've i've been enjoying that a lot it's just kind of uh this is this is i don't want to say lighthearted because there's quite a bit of violence in it but this is uh this is action adventure yeah it's a bit parody <laughs> it's going along yeah. with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I I go I my absolute favorite it, to read is uh, Hellboy. Um, oh. I've got the the four collections of that, um, and then I like I've got my back here. You can see it goes three yep. tiers up. <laughs> um, uh, I I just collect a bunch of Marvel, and I I enjoy the Marvel universe a lot. So I do a lot of Spider Man, X Men. Uh, I I started collecting um, Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel because I thought I was going to have a daughter. And mm -hmm. uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta have some stuff for her. Uh, turns out I'm gonna have a boy, so um, he's gonna read a lot of Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel. <laughs> I was <laughs> gonna be, say, yeah. those are great for yeah, them. It's good I, for him. I love. Uh, I've read a lot of Miss Marvel. I think the audience for that one, I picked it up, and I, I, it's a great comic. I think the audience is a little bit younger. I say this yeah. as somebody who reads a lot of YA, so I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't be judging. And then Captain Marvel. Man, um, just yeah, I, I enjoy really, her really love this comic so much in the comics. Uh, it, compared to her in the movies, I'm like, man, it, I try not to, you know, I, I have people who are like, you know, she's a great icon, she's you know, first big Marvel uh woman to, to really come out swinging, and I was like, you're absolutely right. The problem is the comic books are better, <laughs> and I and I, I hate saying it, but it's so true. She does. That's she's fair. such a better character 
because in the comic book, she's dealing with so much more than, oh, I've got this power that I don't know how to control. It's, oh, I've done terrible, terrible, terrible things, and I'm I'm a human being at heart, and mm-hmm. I just want to be a good person. And so all the good she does means so much more. But that's my that's my quick take on Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel. She has a line in one of them, and I think this will segue well because uh, one of the books, I, I, one of the series I want to talk about is a, a woman warrior, is there's a line in, in one of the trade paperbacks where she's about to, to fight a whole bunch of bad guys and she's talking about diplomacy uh, and how it's not working, and she then turns to them and says, but I am a woman of war. And, like, I saw that, and I was like, holy shit, this is nice. so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's so... Oh man, I love that line mm-hmm. of just like, no, I'm a soldier and this is yeah, this is what I do. This is my diplomacy. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about your Perfect. author. I know you've been you've been waiting, you're you're ready to talk. <laughs> I don't know anything about this person. Um okay. I, I've seen the cover art that, that yes. you mentioned her, so I went and checked it out. Um, mm-hmm. very classic looking cover art, the, mm-hmm. the painting or kind of, it almost looks like, looks like colored pencils sort of. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a very, it feels very late eighties, nineties sort yes. of fantasy. Very. So my favorite author, uh, that I would like to talk about is Tamara Pierce. She has written a lot of books. A lot of series she writes in the young adult arena, young adult fantasy. She writes almost, I think most of her books are set in one universe, Tortal. Tortal? It looks better on paper. The because when is, I say is it, Tortal? Tortal. Oh, okay. And when I say it out loud, it sounds like I'm starting to say Tortellini. Yeah. So, <laughs> things you learn. When you say Your favorite things. books. Yeah. So, the, the three... The three series that I really, really love. The first one is the Song of the Lioness. This was actually the second series that I read. Um, her second series is, uh, it's the Wild Magic, or it starts with Wild Magic. I can't remember what the series itself is called. Uh, and then she has a third one that's set a little bit later, uh, Protector of the Small. It's another woman who wants to be a knight. And so her series primarily focus on female characters sure she has written some she's gone back and done a prequel on one of the main characters in these original series that's written from his perspective uh but most of her stories are written with a it's third person it's from the woman's perspective and i remember liking them because it was some of the first fantasy that i really got into um i had read as a kid, The Hobbit and The Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, and I will say going back and rereading them as an adult, I enjoyed them much more. They're great stories. They're kind of dense yeah. for younger audiences. And I'm not saying that uh, younger people aren't going to enjoy them, but for me, I got a richer experience when I read them as an adult. I feel, um, like, I feel like The Hobbit was good as a, as a kid. I read The Hobbit yes. when I was in like sixth or seventh grade, and I enjoyed that. But the second they tried to make me read Lord of the Rings, I was like, nah, I'm out. I'm good. It's, yeah. And as an adult, you get to the point where you can kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of songs. I'm not saying anything anybody <laughs> doesn't know, but there's a lot of singing in Lord of the Rings. And I get to those and I can just skim right past those. Yeah. 
Uh, I may be missing some good content, but I don't have time to read lyrics yep. and try to imagine them. So these were. <laughs> I want. I want to meet the person who does. I want to meet the one guy who's like, no, I read Lord of the Rings for the music. Fuck yes, lyrics. Oh man, this is great. This is my jam. So tired of these wars and battles and fight scenes. I'm here for the music, bro. Fuck the fuck these hobbits, man. Just <laughs> songs. It's Lord of the Rings, but it's just the song. It's like 50 pages of song. <laughs> they need to release that. <laughs> yep. So this was a series that, and the world building is really rich. Um, but I think the thing that makes fantasy really engaging, and I'm I'm not saying that this is a bad way to read fantasy, but the fantasy that I really like is rich world building that's supported by believable, relatable characters. Sure. Um, that is the fantasy that's going to resonate mo- most with me. And I have read fantasy where it's about the story and it's about the magic, and those are great fun. But the stuff that's really going to stick with me is characters that you can sit there and think about like oh i know this person or oh i am this person right i mean that's so, that's what i think like um the the big ones that popped in my mind are harry potter and the last airbender you know the avatar last airbender you've got people who are literally throwing rocks and water around with their brains uh in martial arts styles but it, it's believable because Aang is just a 12-year-old kid who has a crush on his best friend, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what the story's about. And he's got this insurmountable mountain in front of him. And and so, like, you can believe that they're throwing rocks and stuff around because that's not what the story's about. It's about this kid. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. And also, as, uh, you know, I started reading this when I was in middle school, uh, which is a time when you're feeling like, right, nobody understands me. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I uh, like that is plan. a <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, those years for me, like middle school is way rougher than high school mm. uh, just because it's it is a weird it's a weird time to be a kid. It's a weird transition time. And so having books about girls and women struggling against patriarchal power structures against figuring out who they are uh there's there's clear good and evil um there's humor in these there's a lot of you know this isn't remaking the wheel but there's a lot of power of friendship and found family and discovering your power and um those are those are things that really really resonated with me and i actually started rereading the the first First one, Alana, uh, the first adventure. And I believe this is her first book. And it reads a little bit like a first book, but it's still really, really enjoyable. Mm. And I think as I've gotten older, Alana may resonate with me more just because she's a bit more action adventure. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, and she also writes characters that, again, this is a, this is a, a patriarchal power structure, but... Alana goes through the process of becoming a knight and she becomes a knight and she becomes a great warrior. Um, she takes several lovers throughout the books and nice. it's not really, yeah, <laughs> it's not really that big of a deal. It's uh, she does what she wants and she ends up with somebody who respects her for who she is and is not going to try to change her. Um, she goes through loss and grief and uh, a lot of really difficult growth and um 
they're just hey bud not next to the microphone sorry my cats (laughs) you may get some sniffle noises on the mic um yeah so i'm rereading them and it it is bringing me back to a time when i was just super invested in these books and these stories and i have reread them several times so the book that i have right now has several marks on the spine where i've left it face down yeah uh i went through another and found a bookmark that had been in there for Several years because it was faded at the top. Yeah. It's not good. And the art also. So at some point in the mid-90s, late-90s, somebody decided that fantasy needed to be sexy and cool. hmm And so they've re-released all of these books with, I think, kind of these, like, stylized photographs that are supposed to be the main characters. And... That's boring. It's like this art tells me a story. This art tells me that she's got a horse. (laughs) She's got a cool looking sword. Uh, She's got magic that's purple. And all of this is stuff that shows up in the book. This is an accurate to content illustration. Uh, All of this stuff comes true. And the new art is super boring and they get it they want to re-release it they want to get a new audience this is like the cool new thing but man i just like i love this art i have all the original ones with the original art um i i mentioned that i picked up robert jordan's wheel of time Mm -hmm. and i got through three books of those when i was in high school it is dense yeah it's hard. But it's really hard. It, yeah. Yeah. And, but the books that I had in high school had the original art on them, which again is a similar style of there's a scene on it. You get to some part in the book and you can figure out where you're at based on that. And then yeah. I picked it up and it's like, I didn't get the one that's based on the, the series is going to be on Amazon, which. They do have ones with kind of pictures of the characters. Sure. But the picture of it looks like, I don't know, it looks like something I get at the airport. It's like this stylized wheel. It's monochromatic. It's sexy. They wanted to make the Wheel of Time sexy and cool. (laughs) And not that fantasy can't be sexy and cool, but one (laughs) of the things I liked about it when I was growing up was this was a world that was not super sexy and cool. Right. Uh... And uh, I don't know. I'm sad to see that cover art get replaced by sexy, trendy art. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in the chat here, and I want to sure. get your opinion. Is this is this? Um... So I, I obviously I saw the cover that you you have. What do you think of this cover? Oh, that one oh, looks dope. Wow. Like I that like that is... one a lot. Oh, man, that one's really, really good. And that one tells me a story, too. Right? Right? We've got, and I know what scene this is. I know what scene (laughs) this is in the book. This is towards the end when they go on this, she and Jonathan go off, they sneak off to the city off in the desert, and there's, like, some scary bad magic there. And uh, that's the city in the background is a city made of of glass. And so I know exactly what is happening in that scene. Yeah. And that's what she looks like in the book. That's accurate. Oh, man. So I'm finding all of these, and I like these ones, because these are, like, that, yeah, these that are scenes. Too. I know when that is. These I are, know. 
this is what you when you pick up a book you're like I can't wait to get to this part right yeah. uh and then and then you get uh and then you get this <laughs> uploading it right now yeah and it's a oh. horse it's it's literally like if if you were to show me that i'd be like i don't want to read a horse book why would i want to read yeah. a horse book yeah and it also looks like um i mean i see what they're going for they wanted to make it look sort of like the front of an old-fashioned book right it's got the kind of like the the hooks i guess around it yeah. that maybe hold it closed and the filigree but yeah this tells me jack shit about the story about our main character um, it also, um, so the previous art that you showed me absolutely evokes a very specific mental image of the time when it was released. So that second one, absolutely like mid eighties, sort of, yeah. uh, you know, He-Man and Masters of the Universe kind of art. Sure. Um, uh, the, I think of Dragonlance whenever I see stuff okay. like this, it's very much like the Dragonlance style art. Where it's, yeah. it's it's painted, it's art. It is like an art piece that is a part of yep. this story. Yep. Uh, Barbara Hambly did a bunch of uh, has a bunch of books, and the front of those books very much, uh, very much evokes that. It's the kind of thing that uh, if I went to a used bookstore and went through the fantasy section, I would find a bunch of these, and that would be I would know what I was getting into an action adventure. This to me, particularly the font. I also have a feeling I know when this was issued mm. and it looks so dated. It yeah. looks not vintage. It looks dated. Yeah. I do not like that at all. Oh God. It's, I would not pick up that book. No, I wouldn't either. And then and then you get to this last one I'm gonna show you, which is uh, just bad Photoshop with Yeah. Basic like I think there's three different types of fonts on here. It's... They didn't even get the color of her magic right. It's not gold. It's purple. <laughs> yeah. It's purple. The whole thing is like she's got purple magic. So oh. so you're saying for, for listeners who might be interested in checking out this world of magic, don't pick up the cover with a random red horse on it or bad Photoshop. Pick up pick up the, the ones that have like a scene on it, like the old Go. style of art. Go to your used bookstore and and browse through the the YA fantasy section, and I am sure that you will find one of the older ones. Um, I I think certainly the copy that I have, which also has three different kinds of font on it, but also has a really beautiful picture of her standing next to the horse. Uh, it definitely feels like this is a book for younger audiences, but. I don't know this this last one that you've posted also makes it sound it, it looks like she's going to be a brooding yeah a brooding hero and she's not mm. she's she is determined she has goals and she's gonna she's not gonna let anything stop her even though she is first of all uh she is a girl pretending to be a boy so she can become a knight and She's smaller than everybody else, and she gets her ass kicked a lot, yeah. and she kind of takes it without complaint because this is the goal. She does not spend a lot of time thinking about her life situation. Right. She spends a lot of time doing what she wants to do to get where she wants to go. So, 
Ah, I hate that one. I hate that cover. It's it's bad. If I saw this, I would definitely not. I'd I'd probably put it in the wrong place just so somebody else doesn't find it. I'd have another book on top of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I'm a I'm a book cover snob. Like I said, I I mean I'm I'm a I'm a 15 minute graphic designer. I'm the fast food of graphic design, but uh, even I couldn't I, even I couldn't send this to somebody and be like, look at this awesome thing I did. Um. And, uh, like I, I've done my own covers, you know, just because I, I like the process for me, it's almost a meditation on mm -hmm. the book itself, like playing with the cover and what do I want to show? What aspect of this book do I want to show on the cover? Um, I'm not an artist, so I can't just sit down and draw out a scene. I have to figure out how to design an image and so it, it, it's like I said, it's a form of meditation for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I get I get really picky about covers. <laughs> yeah, that one just makes me it makes me really sad because her books are really Tamara Pierce writes a lot of uh, it is women of action it is adventure, um, it is funny. They're, the world of their their deities and their gods are very much involved in human life, and the the deities have foibles. Um, which I think is very fun in the, one of the most recent ones, Tempest and Slaughter, which is the backstory of one of these main characters. He has to do a task for a river god that's a giant crocodile, and the giant crocodile's like, oh, I, I definitely, like, took this thing from another god, so I need to, you to, like, hold on to it for a while. Like, he's giving him, like, fenced merchandise. <laughs> It, it feels very like, it feels very American gods like Neil Gaimany with the way that that it yeah. works. Yeah, and and Numera is like, but why can't you just why can't you just give it back to him? And the gods like, well, he doesn't really know that I took it. Um, so I need you to just hold on to this for me for a while, and then once he's calmed down, I will give it back to him. But like, I don't want to deal with this right now. So you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna take it. Um, and that book also deals with because the the main characters at a university. There's a lot of jokes and funniness about professors getting tenure or one professor leaves to get a better paying job. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh, okay, this is real academia yeah. in a fantasy setting." Yeah. So, and she as an author has also, you know, uh. I will say this. I, I grew up on Harry Potter. I loved Harry Potter. I am one of the people who just like at some point decided that this was not. This wasn't a universe that I could continue to engage in in good faith. And yeah. Tamara Pierce has been really open about she had a long tweet thread where she basically said, like, I know that in the past I've not done right by trans characters, partially because I was kind of afraid to write them in a way that was authentic and and not reductive not stereotypes but i want to do better i want to write these characters better i know that this is a world that a lot of you have seen yourselves in and i am dedicated to to doing better and then i i see my trans readers and i acknowledge who they are as people um and so that was really refreshing to have her as an author say i'm going to i'm going to continue to create these stories in these worlds and create and have trans characters. Um, yeah. So 
I, I'll continue I, I think to read that's your books. great. I think that's absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. Being able to have the, I don't even know what to call it, uh, the gall to just be like, no, this is what I think is right. And I think right now that's that's a big part of being a creative is to um, stick up for what you think is right and and do it right. And uh, mm-hmm. you and I talked about this before we we recorded. Uh, I went off on a, a huge thing, but I believe that representation is absolutely necessary uh, mm-hmm. for all writing. Um, and I. I get really tired of the conversations around a lot of uh, transphobia and homophobia of like, well, we don't want to normalize it. And that bothers the shit out of me because even if you don't agree with it, it's still a part of real life. It still exists. And trying to ignore the the uh, I'm air quotes problem doesn't make it go away. I don't think it's a problem, just so we're clear. I don't think that it's something that needs to go away. But um, I, I don't know. It, it gets so irritating just having to be like, no, it, it should be in stories because it exists. Like you, yeah. you write about trees and buildings and cars or you can you can write about fantasy things like werewolves and magic swords and shit like that but you have a problem putting in things that really actually exist that Mm -hmm. is not right that's absolutely wrong um and so i'm as as an author myself i'm i have made that a very big point in my writing that uh i want my worlds to be diverse and i won't restrict myself to the limitations of our world in my writing. Uh, so I, I, and I think that a lot of people started seeing that with, um, uh, what was it? I just watched, um, the, the new David, David Copperfield movie, um, with, uh, David, yeah. David Copperfield with, um, something Dev Patel. Patel. Dave Patel. Dev Patel. Dev Patel. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was great. I thought that the fact that they can swap out, uh, different, um, you know, different races of people into the story that is in a time very predominantly all white. It's great. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it doesn't deflate the character at all. And so I, I think it's, it's really cool. It's a, it's a great way of storytelling that isn't, it doesn't change history because that's a fake story. So we don't have to change history to tell that story. Yeah. And trans and queer people deserve to have their stories told. They deserve to be able to see themselves in stories. One of the most powerful things in media is being able to see yourself in a piece of media, in, uh, in writing, to pick up something and see an experience that is your own. And... Um, certainly making sure that your stories include that, making sure that your stories include those folks in a way that is respectful. Um, I certainly plan on when I get closer to a point where I want to get this thing off to publishers, because I write a lot of, um, you know, this is a, this is a male, male romance novel. Um, and I want to have somebody read it who has that lived experience, have, you know, hire a sensitivity reader to, to go through and, and look at it. Um, but I'm thinking about, so So one of the times, the first time that I really remember um, seeing myself in a in a movie, and this, it's really sad that it had to happen this late in my life, but um, 
going and seeing the first Wonder Woman movie as yeah. a superhero movie that was directed by a woman. Um, granted, Wonder, Mo- Wonder Woman is a very, like, right? She's incredibly good looking. She's slender. <laughs> she's yeah. physically, right? I'm 35 years old. I have knee pain. I have back pain. I worked out a couple days ago and my arms are still killing me. Um, <laughs> right. But seeing a movie that was directed by, and you could tell that this was a movie that was directed by a woman because there really wasn't a male gaze. Right. Um, there really was a focus on, uh, uh, it really felt authentic that Diana had grown up in a world without men. Sure. Um, just the way that she then operated and acted in that. But I remember watching that movie and just like, weeping because I was seeing a character that I could identify with on the big screen. Yeah. So it is important to, to include, uh, include voices that are not getting their stories told. Um, this is another tangent, but Rick Reardon, who's an amazing author, he's written several adult mysteries. And then he wrote the, the Percy Drac Percy Jackson. Jackson and yeah. right. Which I, I love those books. They're funny. They're fun. They're they're a great adventure. Um, but he has taken his imprint and used it. And Rick Riordan's a white man. Uh, he has used his imprint to promote and publish uh, predominantly indigenous and people of color stories. Nice. So they can get their books sold under. It's like Rick Riordan presents yeah. this book. And... He works on hiring artists who are, again, people of color, indigenous communities, uh, to do the art for those books so that you are having a book that is, like, completely created by somebody who's not white. And then he, like, sells the shit out of them. He is so excited about this thing that he's done. He really promotes these books. And, like, that is the really... Really, really awesome way. Yeah, it is. It's, to use your voice. It's amazing. I get a little afraid of that sometimes, just because I know that there can be, there can be some backlash to that. Even you know the the whole white knighting thing, and like, uh, it, it's it sucks because it's like no matter what you do, there's going to be someone who doesn't like what you do, right? And mm-hmm. and but at least he's trying, and and he's he's going out of his way to do what he can. Um, but there will be people who are like, yeah, but he's still a white man. He's basically, you know, and, and they'll come up with some crazy idea of like, he's, he's using them to promote himself and then he's using the promotion of them to make himself look better, you know? So he's just helping himself. And it's like, bro, that's, that's called cynicism. You're just a cynic at that point, you know, like there are Mm -hmm. good things in this world and there are people doing good things. So you know, sorry, you can't see that. But uh, I I had discussions with people after um, uh, Lovecraft Country came out. Right. Oh, uh-huh. a, a book about, you know, life as a black man in uh, South, not South America, but Southern America. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of that written by a white guy from nowadays. Um, and and I heard people straight up say he shouldn't have written it. It wasn't his story to tell. And mm-hmm. I and it and it hurts me to hear that, not because it it is his story to tell. It's his story. He wrote the story. And we were just talking about like there are each story is unique. We all have these stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um 
and he did the work. Like he went out of his way to make sure he wasn't insulting, to make sure he wasn't stereotypical, to make sure he was sensitive to the topics and to Mm -hmm. write it in a way that is obviously accepted enough to where they want to make a friggin' TV show out of it. So like to say it's not his story to tell, it, it seems really, I don't know, to me at least, it's it seems arrogant and it scares me because when I want to write these diverse characters, when I want to have a, mm-hmm. a cast in, in one of the stories I'm writing where there's one white person and it's a female, right? There are no white men in mm-hmm. the lead cast. So I've got an African-American man, an Asian man, a white woman, and an African-American woman. That's the main cast. Who is going to tell me, like, you shouldn't have written that. You don't know what it's like. And it's like, I also don't know what it's like to fly a hovering car. And they do that for, like, half of the freaking story. So am I not allowed? (laughs) Like, it 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 scares me. It really does scare Mm -hmm. me to to put stories out there like that. I mean, I think again, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug sensitivity readers. You're gonna get to a point where you wanna, you know, and you, I intend to pay whoever I hire to do a sensitivity reading. Yeah. Um, I think it is a fine line to walk. Is is wanting to make sure that you are writing diverse stories while also, um, not co-opting stories that may not be your own. Um. So yeah, it's definitely there's there's gonna be a line to walk. There's gonna be a way to do it in a way that's respectful to folks there's also going to be a way to do it in a in a way that promotes other people's voices yeah um and you are going to have folks that are going to criticize you and i think listening to those and and thinking about the way that the way that you can grow if you get people who say hey this is something that i wish you had done different um and that's okay that is okay to 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 receive criticism and critiques and think sure. about the way that you can improve your art. Um, there's always going to be, I think about, um, you know, you want to, you are allowed to enjoy the things that you want to enjoy. You're allowed to write the things you want to write. Um, there's, you want to be critical of that, of yourself, of the media that you're consuming. So yeah, I think, I think as much as you, you know, when you get to a point where you want to, where you really want to publish this is getting, getting input yeah. from the folks that you're writing about um Which in should, a way that feels meaningful it should be yeah. happening either way right as an author oh, you need absolutely. people's input anyway so you might as well be getting input from the right people <laughs> not mm-hmm. just more white straight people who are gonna agree with you because you've done this great thing but people yep. who are willing to challenge you not just in your writing but in your characterization of people um, yeah so i i think that's i think that's a really valid point of doing the work Right. You, if you're going to spend all this time telling the story, make sure it's it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the way you want to do it. And that's that's the process of also going through first draft to, to 15th, getting to the point where it's something that you want to present to the world. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm certainly going to do when I get to the point where I want to present this, because I also write a lot of characters who are not like me. And that's the power of writing is, uh, you know, they talk about like, write what you know, that's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, it's hard. Write what you don't know and do the research and learn and grow from that. I, I write about characters who are quite a bit older than I am. I write about characters in settings that I'm not familiar with. At some point, 
The first book that I wrote, which I have set down, and I do not know if I'll ever pick it up again, because I set it in Victorian England, and I got about halfway through and I realized, oh, shit, there's going to be so much research. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that right now. This is going to be so much yeah. work. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a first book thing I want to do. I'm just going to work on the second one in modern times and there I'm going to set it in Seattle, a city that I live in <laughs> and I'm familiar with. In my apartment. And there are lawyers. I'm a lawyer. This is great. But I fully intend that the more stuff that I write, I'm going to branch out and write things that I don't know. And that's that's the process. So would you say reading, um, uh, is it Pierce? Pierce, um, yes. reading Pierce is what inspired you to do writing or was it a different author? It actually wasn't. Um, I can't say that it was any specific author. Um, I started writing because I was in a the before the job that I have now, I was in a really, really toxic job and I needed an outlet. And so I started writing and I started writing a lot of these short stories and uh, a friend of mine at one point uh, who is a she she writes for Wizards of the Coast and does a lot of that stuff. And she is actually working on a book right now. Um, she got me a book called Self-Editing for Writers. And then she also said, I'm going to get you an AO3 invite. I'm going to I'm going to send you one because you need to get what you're writing in front of more people. And fanfic is a great way to do that. So I did not, you know, I'm not the kind of person who has always wanted to be a writer. Um, since I was a kid, I do a lot of writing in undergrad, in law school, in the job I have now. I do a lot of writing. It's not fun writing. Nobody sits down and is like, oh, yes, I want to read a bunch of briefs. Um, <laughs> But this really was kind of a spur of the moment. Like, I'm really frustrated. I'm in a job I hate. I am pretty miserable. I just need a creative outlet. And what I've been doing until then is not not cutting it. Mm -hmm. I need to kind of lose myself in something. And when you get into that flow, man, it is super easy to just shut out everything else. And that was... That was great. So that's that's how it's. <laughs> so thank nice. you, shitty job. This yeah. is how I started writing. I, I mean, that's it's not far off from me where uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a, a comic book um, because I'm going to be a comic book writer. Um, and then I and then I wrote that and I realized how shitty it was. And then I realized that it was a 60,000 word manuscript for a comic book. And I was like, that's that's a novel. I just wrote a novel, dude. Uh, so I'll rework that and turn it into an actual novel. And then, um, I was unemployed while I was doing that. And technically I was, uh, unemployed and homeless. Uh, I was living in a loft above a garage oh, that boy. An, an older couple from my church owned and they lived out in the middle of nowhere Oregon uh, so I was getting like really bad cabin fever um, just like I, I didn't have the money to go anywhere like it, so I literally was stuck out in the middle of nowhere um, the only time I'd see people is like when my girlfriend at the time would drive out to come see me and pick me up and go do stuff and if I was going and doing some job searches and 
Um, and so I, I planned a D&D session for my family, uh, my, my three cousins and my two brothers, uh, so the six of us, and I, I had this whole D&D session where I was going to like basically tell them how much they meant to me, how much I love them, and all this stuff. I wrote this basically a love letter in D&D, and uh, they all canceled. Everybody canceled. Oh, God. It was... It was sad. I was very depressed. It was it was very bad. And, you know, I we don't have to go super into it, but I have also very much dealt with uh, some, some depressive thoughts. In fact, we just recorded our episode of Sylvia Plath uh, and just released that this last week. And <laughs> and I I kind of I I kind of flipped out a little bit like I I, I played the line of being sensitive to suicide, but then also very, very angry about it because I've had to deal with it not just in myself but also in other people who have actually gone through with it mm-hmm. and so uh, I was alone um, I was cold because my heater wasn't working it was like January and uh, the only thing I had was a computer so it was either porn or write a book um, <laughs> so uh, I was like oh let's try something different let's read a book or write a book um, so I did that and I started writing. I basically took the campaign that I'd written for my family and turned it into a, a fantasy story. Um, and, and the whole beginning was, was them, was us, was the, the six of us, you know, together. And it was the end of the world. And, you know, the, the world is, is about to like, the sun is about to explode and then we're all going to be dead. And, and then somehow we survive it. We get teleported to this fantasy world and, Um, it was, it was so cathartic for me to just sit there and write. And I just days, days after day, after day, after day, I wrote and wrote and wrote. And eventually I had this, I had half of the story and then, um, I ended up getting a job moving into town and, and, uh, and then finishing that story and immediately starting on the second, I had plans for a third and then it turned into 18 book series and, blah 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 blah. and and so like Mm -hmm. i get it like writing writing gives you that space to exist outside of your situation and and it's yeah it's nice to be able to just kind of like yeah shit sucks so let me write a book where it doesn't necessarily suck or at least i know it's gonna work out in the end Mm um yeah. yeah and i've certainly also I've used it a lot. Uh, I have sat down to write something that's going to be light and fluffy and get done with it and realize, oh, no, I use this to process a lot of, like, issues that have been going on with my depression. I wrote a fanfic where both characters are really struggling with, like, some kind of PTSD uh, or depression, and I got done with it, and I realized, like, oh, no, this needs to have some kind of content warning in, on it just so that people know, like, what they're going to get into. Yeah. Um, And that that happens. Yeah. And I think also just pouring yourself into characters makes them interesting and believable. You sure. get characters who are authentic. You get characters who people are going to identify with. But, yeah, writing, absolutely escapism. Um, I am right now in a bit of a, a writing slump. I have not written anything in a while, which sucks sure um i also know from past experience that the well never goes dry forever yeah sometimes you just have a season where it's just 
yep. other stuff is going on. It's cooking back there. You, you'll get, you'll wake up one Saturday morning and be like, I'm going to write. Oh shit. I'm going to write. And then you, yeah. you just word vomit it out. Yep. Yeah. You sit down and I, I gotta get this idea out. I gotta yeah. get something down. And then you write a whole bunch in the span of a very short time period. So I'm kind of waiting for that to come back. Mm -hmm. um, I need to get back to editing my book because that will help. But yeah, uh, th there will come a time, hopefully soon, when I, yeah, I wake up or I'm in the shower. Yeah. Shower? I've never had shower ideas before. And then I started writing and yeah. I got things where I worked stuff out. Sure. While I was showering, and then I had to get out and do a quick voice memo too, yeah. <laughs> because I'd figured out how yeah. to resolve a plot point, and oh, I yeah. needed to not forget it. Uh, for me, it's driving, and I've talked about this on my show so much. Driving is my time of meditation. If I ever make it as an author to where that's all I'm doing for a living, I'll still have a commute because I'll I'll mm -hmm. like I'll get an office or something in a town that's at least twenty to thirty minutes away so that I can drive there and think about stuff and listen to music. And then when I get there, I can sit down and write and then I'll, you know, take breaks. And then on the drive home, I'll think about what I'm going to do tomorrow. And it's yeah. just, it's, I like driving. It, it allows me that space to, to just play some lo-fi and think, you know? Yeah. 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 Hannah, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. This was really, really fun. I had a great time. So so I've convinced you we're going to be internet friends now. It's yes. worked. Look, we're friends on Discord. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fun. I'm, I'm really happy. I, I really am excited that I was able to chat with you. We didn't get to talk about Monster Hour as much as I wanted to, but I'll save that for when I convince everybody else on your guys' show <laughs> to come on at once. Um, maybe if you guys need a moderator for your Q and a, you know, just hit me up. I'll, I'll be there for you. Um, <laughs> I think that's the second time I've invited myself on your show. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Where can, like, where can people find, I know there's monster hour. If you, sure. if you're listening to the show and you haven't checked out monster, if I have not convinced you to go check out monster hour, you're doing the show wrong. Go listen to monster hour. Um, but other than that, Hannah, can, can people find anything else from you on online? So, uh, right now I will say that the fanfic, uh, is, uh, like many people who have a, a day job where maybe folks don't want to, um, uh, reveal that they write smutty, smutty fanfic. Mm. But if you are interested in the fandoms that I'm in, I would say, uh, it's going to sound wild. Uh, HBO's hit limited series Chernobyl okay. has a very small but active fandom. And then AMC's the terror the first season okay has a very active and those are both fandoms that i am involved with i have written fanfic for both of those um but you're not gonna reveal I, your fanfic name it's like a banksy no. situation yeah people people are gonna have to go online and figure that out okay i'll <laughs> say that if they do figure it out it's not like it's a uh a super well-kept secret there are plenty of people who know both me in the fandom world and me in the professional world i just like to kind of keep them at least separate yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Um, I will also say that I do have uh, uh, my professional account, which is uh, Hannah WVR. 
I don't tweet a ton about the podcast, uh, but if you want to see some lawyer tweets and cat pictures, hit me up there. Kyle has a SoundCloud, yes. and uh, he would, you know, great, great music there. So if you're a fan of the podcast and like the music, um, it's Tech Kyle, so the, but T-E-H-K-Y-L-E, SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> Send me a link. I'll make sure I, I, I keep yeah, that in yeah. the description so people can yeah. click on that. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, it's not quite as active right now because Quinn does most of the social media on Twitter, but hit us up on the Monster Hour Pod Twitter. Uh, we love to hear from folks who are enjoying it. We have a Discord channel uh, if people want to join that server. Uh, there's usually a link to it in the show notes on Podbean if, if folks have, listen and want Do you wanna. have to be part of the Patreon to do the Discord? Nope. Or is that that's just nope. open? That's just free? Nope. Discord is for everybody. Uh, we do have some great Patreon content, but the Discord is for anybody who wants to come in and, and join and talk about Monster Hour. I'm going to um, go join or that talk right about... now. I'm not even yeah. joking. I'm, I'm bringing yeah. it up right now. It's it's under the podcast junkie server, and then we have a channel there. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, come in and talk about that. There's also a lot of people who want to talk shop about Monster Hour. So if you play that Powered by Apocalypse game system and want to kind of workshop ideas for characters or stats, lots of folks in there um, are super interested in kind of uh, making that game their own, which is also, <clears throat> that's a game system that is easily adaptable if you have ideas about characters or stats or things yeah uh we're People are very creative no promises to anybody who's into the players guild uh but uh alexa from the players guild is uh putting together a monster of the week uh session or two um so i love that i love i, I love that i that. also have a you know taking this just real quick taking this whole serialized idea that i have uh you know right now i'm doing a fantasy sitcom i've been talking with a friend about uh, an idea that we had for a web show we wanted to do and i was like dude we can take this and just do a, a serialized you know like just novel short story series um as it and and so he and I have been talking and uh, I was like, we should use the monster of the week rules to help flesh out like the characters and what we're doing. Yes. And so it is a um, it is a mall uh, security group of people who are realizing that the mall may have been built uh in a conspicuous place in some conspicuous ways and some some weird things are happening there and so it's oh. mall security that take their job way too seriously but only because they absolutely have to i would listen to the hell out of that that sounds dope as somebody who worked in a mall as a teenager <laughs> yes all right so yeah. we'll have to we'll have to have you be one of our beta readers to make sure it's <laughs> it's all good i would love that <laughs> perfect um awesome anything else hannah anything you want to throw out there i think that's it as far as things that we'd like to plug i will also uh uh i have had a cat in my lap this entire time i'll send some pictures if if folks want to see what uh what francis looks like he's been a very good boy yeah, yeah. just good 
because normally he walks around the apartment screaming. So um, <laughs> if we can get some cat pictures on our Instagram, I think it'll really boost our numbers. So I, I would yes. appreciate that. Yeah, that's the secret. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough. I, and listeners, seriously, if you've listened to this whole episode and, and you haven't thought about going to listening to Hannah playing Jr. the Crooked uh, on the Monster Hour you're insane. You're an insane person if you haven't thought about it. It's such a good show. <laughs> um, so go check that out. And uh, cool. Now time for a super awkward goodbye where I don't know how to stop talking. And I will continue to ramble until I stop myself. Bye, ghoul gang. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.